Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. I want to start off with Job and uh, go through Job quickly, and then I want to ask you about your favorite psalm. So I, I want to ask you, to, so keep on uh, keeping that in mind. Job chapter 40 and verse number 1. Job 40 and verse number 1. Let's go there, and while you're turning there, I'm going to read the first couple verses of, of Job. Job chapter 40 and verse number 1. You go there. And the Bible says this in the first part of Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, not Job, and that he, on that man was perfect, and when we talk about perfect, he wasn't sinless, but he was upright, uh, he was, his heart was whole toward God. So he's perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil, he hated evil. And there was born unto him seven sons and three daughters, so he had ten kids, how about that? His substance was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and very great, a very great household, show that this, was, this, uh, this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. So what's that verse really telling us? He was a really, really wealthy man. So it doesn't go down his investments, it goes down his animals, right? So he's a really, really wealthy man. And his sons went and feasted in their house every one on his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so that uh, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered, notice, burnt offerings according to the number of them all. So how many? Ten of them. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their heart. Thus Job did continually. And even in that moment, Job is showing his sincerity, not only about his own personal relationship with God, though he doesn't have the Bible at this point, uh, his own personal relationship with God, and also his children's relationship with God. He, even though they're grown, he took seriously about uh, his role as dad. And that's pretty amazing because this did not have... Uh, Ephesians, uh, it didn't, he didn't have Deuteronomy telling him um, that he's responsible for the, the leading of his home. So there's a lot there. Right after that, we get into the whole thing about God, uh, Satan coming before God and uh, asking, uh, God asking him, have you considered my servant Job and, uh, and from walking to and fro uh, in the earth? And, and uh, uh, Satan says, listen, God, he only, he only serves you and he only loves you because, because, you have blessed him, and you've hedged him in. You put a, a boundary about him, and I can't get at him. You've, he only blesses your name because you've hedged him in. And God said, well, okay, uh, you're, you're allowed to, to test him in, this, uh, in, this, uh, in your way, but you're not allowed to take his life. Okay, so you know this, uh, you perhaps know the story. Uh, one after another, Job's servants come and say, listen, you've lost your camels, you've lost your sheep, he lost and, and goes all the way down the list of all of his wealth. He lost them. And then they come and they tell him they, they've lost, he's lost his sons and daughters. 
And so in one fell swoop, it's just like something only Satan could put together, right? Uh, and in one fell swoop, in, in, this, in this period of time, he loses absolutely everything. And I go forward a little bit more. Uh, the, um, the Bible talks about, in, right after he's received all that, um, that information, Job 1 and verse 20, then Job rose and rent his mantle, uh, extreme grief, as you would understand, shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and, do you remember? Worshipped. Worshipped. You talk about a man that knew God. How? <laughs> he, he had walked, he had, he had took every bit of revelation he knew from God and he had, he had lived accordingly. And he said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. A little later on in chapter number two, we find that Job's wife comes to him, verse nine, and says, uh, Doth thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Great, great influence right there, right? And you know what? That can go vice versa, by the way, in our trials, right? Just give up on following God. Just give up on your ideal. Just give up on that. But... He said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. So all the chaos, all the loss, and Job is still retaining his integrity. He's still retaining his worship of God. He's not letting go of it at all. Job is focused on God. And what Job, the book of Job, uh, gives to us is really the account of human suffering as God allows. Because you notice as, as Satan comes to uh, God, he is only allowed to do, do to Job what God allows him to do. So we see human suffering as allowed by God, but we also see the sovereignty of God working in our situation, his oversight. And that's all I mean by sovereignty. And that's not, that is a good, good Bible word. Some people will take it to extreme, but it's a good, Bible, uh, a good word to define God's overall control of things. And he was still in control. Not one moment did God lose control of what was happening in Job's life. Not one moment. And he was overseeing all of it. And so as, as God is allowing Job to be brought through a trial, not because Job had sinned, but to prove Job's uh, integrity, to prove Job's commitment to God, and to also prove Satan wrong, God allowed him through a trial that would bring God much and great glory. Great glory. And we still read this book today. If you've read through it recently, you, you shake your head at some of it. He is, he is a very wealthy man, and he is reduced to sitting on a heap of ashes, scraping the boils, right, the second time that uh, Satan comes, Satan comes and puts those boils. Boils aren't any fun. I don't know if we've ever had Job's boils. I, I think I remember once having what was called a boil, but all over his body, and the Bible says he's scraping it, right? It's awful. He was reduced to sitting on a pile of ashes. Well, the Bible talks to us about his friends coming, and so that's going to really lead us into a couple of thoughts, but the focus of Job is this, human suffering and the sovereignty of God, God's overall control. You're at Job chapter 40 and verse number uh, uh, one, and we're moving all the way ahead. Job has been through a lot of turmoil as his friends come. They try to encourage him, right? They try to encourage him. They sit, sit for seven days, not a word. 
So sometimes, I mean, that's actually a, a, a good little principle. Sometimes we, we think we have to say something to encourage somebody, but uh, even, even presence of a friend is, is a good thing. But once they started opening their mouths, they weren't too encouraging at all. And so we see that, that going on all the way at the end of this book as God comes to them and they've all tried to find their human solution to this issue that Job's going through. They've talked and they've talked and they've talked and they've talked. And there's this, they think they've, they've come to it and they've said a lot of, lot of words and not of, none of them have really um, been the answer to it all. And Job has even bordered himself on sometimes really uh, speaking in a wrong way towards God. Uh, and we find here in Job 40, it says this, Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? What's God saying? Uh, are you going, as one who's arguing with me, are you going to instruct the Almighty? Well, what's the obvious answer there? No. No. Uh, he goes on, He that reproveth God, let him answer it. You're the one standing here reproving God? Answer. Then Job answered. When God tells you to answer, you answer. <laughs> he answered him. Behold, I am vile. Good start, Job. Uh, we, we should take a cue there. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Hmm. I think it's a good time just to shut up. That's what Job just said. I think it's a good time to just shut up. Once, I, uh, once have I spoken, but I will not answer, yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. I am put in my place. Um, so as we think of Job, he gets uh, a little further as God comes to him and really reveals himself. In on chapter 42, he says, Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in uh, dust and ashes, and begins to realize, you know what, I acknowledge God has been working in my life. I tried, I tried with friends to try to figure all this, all this out and why I'm going through all this, but I acknowledge I've spoken against God. I am the one that needs to repent, and I need to just uh, accept of the Lord and, uh, and allow him to do of his good pleasure in my, uh, in my life. So as we think about that, Job is one of the, uh, one of the earliest characters uh, in Scripture, or I should say he, he was right along with patriarchs in Scripture, in time frame of when the book of Job was written, it is the oldest book in the Bible. So I'm not talking about happening, so it's not before, it's not before creation, but it is one of the, old, um, the oldest book in the Bible, so as far as chronological order. But it would have happened back in the patriarchs, if you can give me that, that, uh, that timeline just to, to put it there. And so think about Job happening back around uh, where Abraham, uh, Abraham would have been. Uh, during uh, during that that time frame, and so there's there's it's unknown, and I'm not going to uh, die for all that, but it is known to be the oldest book, uh, written book in the Bible. It's uh, it's the story of a wealthy man who had faith in God, and God is doing something in his in his life. And by the way, no matter what your social economic status is, uh, we're not outside of the reach of God doing something in our lives. God doesn't just focus on the poor or the rich. God is working in, in lives. And it really is a very brutal, raw story. We're not going to read and, and go through it all tonight. It's a really uh, raw story of, of, of God's working and what God allows in his life. You know, people talk about karma, right? You know, if you do good, good will come around. Well, here's a man. I mean, we open up the book, and we have a man who's eschewing evil. He hates evil, and yet God allows this. So it kind of blows the whole theory 
of, of, of karma, and that's not a Christian idea anyway. So let's not, you know, let's not um, adopt that word into our thinking and into our, into our mentality. That is a very worldly and false, uh, false uh, thought process. But it, it really establishes God's uh, sovereignty, his godness, if you will, his authority. Just think about Satan not being able to do one thing without the permission of God. How does that make you feel tonight? I'm glad for that because Satan would annihilate us and put us all in hell uh, if, it, if, if it were up to him. And so uh, he has all power, all authority, and it helps us deal with present-day suffering and process it by God's point of view. So what's God trying to do in your life? Uh, sometimes we immediately wonder, is it because I sinned? Well, maybe it is. The Holy Spirit will make that clear to us, but sometimes God is working in our lives, bringing us through a trial to refine us. And didn't, isn't that what Job said? When, when I've been tried, I shall come forth as gold, right? So there was a refining process that was going on in Job's life, but the fact of the matter is God was working this all out for his glory. So let's just break down the book for a second and get an overview here. The first two chapters deal with uh, Job, uh, Job's testing, losing everything, and him going through the reaction of that. Uh, chapters 3 through 31, Job's friends show up on the, on the scene and they talk and they talk and they talk. Uh, they're very critical. Job, there, there has to be some sin that you've committed. Nothing like this happens without some sin. Are you yet retaining your righteousness? How's that for uh, you know, visiting you in the hospital? Are you still trying to say you haven't done anything wrong? And it just, I mean, he's, these, these guys are just real terrors. God gets with them later on. God puts them in their place. By the way, God, God can take care of people and put them in their place, even the loudmouths. He can take care of them and put them in their place. So uh, those, those chapters are just replete. It's agonizing as you have this back and forth between Job and his three friends as, as Job is retaining his righteousness, which God, God gets at and says, no, no one's, no one's perfect. And he eventually has to say, I abhor, I'm vile. I recognize my state before a holy God. Chapters 32 through 37, Elihu, this guy that, this is really interesting, this guy that, that is mute quiet the whole time, finally, after all the other guys speak, he goes, okay, are you all done now? He goes, I have something to say. And wisdom isn't always with the, the gray-headed. Like, whoa. And he comes out the gate respectfully, but he also, he said, hey, listen, I'm young, I recognize that, I've given you all place, but I have something to say. And Elihu gives a very wise perspective in chapters 32 through 37. Chapters 38 through 41, God asks all sorts of questions. And there is this, this, this ultimate perspective that is given from God to Job. Here's what's going on. This is what you need to see. You need to see yourself in light of me. In chapter 42, God restores everything back to him and more. So it's an amazing story uh, there of, of God's, God's work in our lives, even through the midst of suffering. And uh, it can be, it can be a, a help to us to realize, yes, God has Satan on the leash. He's not going to allow anything into our lives that he does not say yes to. And no, nothing you're going to face this week in your family uh, has not been signed off already by God. And you too can come forth as Job on the other side of that, come forth as gold, come forth a more purified individual if you'll let God be God. 
problem is sometimes we're like those friends and like Job and through the midst of that, we, we don't want to let God, we want to just argue our own rightness rather than humbling ourselves before God and letting God be God. So it's fitting that Psalms follows right after this, and I, I want to take a few moments to overview the Psalms. Um, it's fitting, though they're not written in, in chronological order, it's fitting in the order of the Bible. Uh, some of the greatest songs of triumph and praise come out of our seasons of pain. And a lot of the songwriters, uh, even today, that, that, that write hymns and so on, uh, they write out of pain. Can you think of Ron Hamilton? He, I don't know how much longer he'll be on earth, but he's, he's suffering greatly right now. But he wrote that song, Oh, Rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistakes out of great pain. And, 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 and suffering, and so on, so out of his own physical pain. So uh, many songs of praise comes out of those seasons of praise, and that's what, that's what Psalms really is. It, its focus is worship and praise towards God. It's Israel's book of, of hymns and of praise and of songs of prayer. It's a collection of poetic expressions, just giving God adoration and praise and worship. Now, there's a lot of mourning that goes on inside of these psalms. Sometimes they're, they're pouring out their heart to God. And mourning is, a com- is common throughout the psalms. As we break down the psalms, I want to look at it in five different collections. All right, There's five different collections or books in, within the psalms. Chapters 1 through 41 is the first book, and mostly written by David. That's what I want you to remember, mostly written by David. And it's the themes of a fallen man, but a man who is blessed by God. Over and over we hear him coming back and just, uh, just recognizing how much he is blessed of God, the goodness of God. And even though the wicked prosper in Psalm 37, he still understood that he is blessed by God and he's daily loaded with benefits. Uh, chapters 42 through 72 is the second book. Mostly David, also the sons of Korah. They were involved in the, uh, the tabernacle, uh, tabernacle and temple uh, worship. Tabernacle worship. Um, But as well, it focuses on Israel's ruin and redemption broadly. Not everyone in there. And it's interesting, one of the Psalms that we've preached out uh, in 2020 around Thanksgiving was Psalm chapter 50. It was a Psalm of Asaph, one of those Psalms of Asaph that was sent in there, one of the first Psalms of Asaph. And it was he was a worship leader as the leader of the choirs. That's what he was. That was his, his job. Uh, challenge God's people about their formalism. Don't come and worship and just sing, sing words. Sing from your heart. Sing from your heart. And that's still a, a good reminder to us today. But that's all found in that second book or second collection of the Psalms. The third collection is Psalm 73 through Psalm 89. This is mostly Asaph and his family that is writing. So mostly songs written from a worship leader, from a man who's, who God had gifted to write music. And so most of them were written in that way and very much uh, uh, praising God for his holy power to deliver. Very much just exalting God in that way. Very centered on God. The fourth book, the fourth collection, Psalm 90 through 106, is uh, mostly unknown authors. It starts off there, Psalm chapter number 90, Who shall dwell in the secret place of the Most High? And talking about dwelling in the shadow of the Almighty. Uh, it, it starts off there. That's a very well-known, uh, well-known psalm, but it really focuses on Israel and the nations, but the, the writers are um, mostly unknown. And then that brings us to this last, this last section, 
Psalm 107 through Psalm 150, a lot of short and uh, also one very, very long psalm, Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. But this is mostly of, um, by David and gives focus to God's word, to praise, and also to giving thanks. You end psalm, the psalms in Psalm 150 with a, a huge call from God through, through those inspired writers calling us all to praise him with everything we have. With instruments, praise him. Praise him. Let all the people praise him. At this point, let's just take a few mo moments. What is your favorite psalm? What is the psalm that is, is your favorite tonight? Yes. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Isn't that a blessed one? And he is the great shepherd, isn't he? Amen. Yes. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Who else? What's that? In the garden? Yes. Amen. That is a good hymn. Very good hymn. What else? Yes. Amen. Did I mix that up with Psalm 90? It's all good. Psalm, who else? Is that, that's the one. Um, yes, you're right. I was wrong. Amen. Yes. Psalm 51. Psalm 51. That's an agonizing psalm. Good. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. God can bring us all the way back around. Yes. Oh, yes. Psalms. Yes. Though my heart and my flesh faileth, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. What else? Psalms that are your favorite. Psalm 2. That's the one uh, that God sits in the heavens and laughs right at the, the schemes of the wicked. Amen. Boy, we're, we are so close to that, friends. Have to be. Have to be. I, I was calling someone today, and I just made mention. I said, listen, we were talking about the world, and I said, Jesus has to be coming uh, soon. I don't know even where this person goes to church, and I just I threw that out there. And, uh, and she says, my husband and I were just talking about that this morning. And just it's on the tip of, of, of tongues and on the hearts of people. He has to be coming soon. I, I, I believe it. So anyone else? Favorite psalm? Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. All right, let's think about this. Let's, uh, let's give some reasons why we ought to jump into the Psalms, uh, how they're helpful to us. Let's break it down in the minutes that we have together. Uh, the Psalms really can be used um, and reused often uh, for us in our Christian lives as a, a way of, of coming into daily devotions. And what I mean by that, um, 
they really shape how we as a believer, as a follower of God, can relate to God. So over and over, you see all these prayers. Many of them are prayers and songs to God. And they teach us how in the midst of trouble, in the midst of success, in the midst of blessing, in the midst of all circumstances of life, how to relate to God. So they really are almost like a, 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 a trainer, an instructor, a guide, a very, very detailed guide on how we can, we can have relationship with, with God. So what, what do you do when your heart is overwhelmed? Well, there's psalms that talk about that and even say, why is it my heart disquieted within me? I will yet praise him for he is the health of my countenance and brings us all the way through that. What do we do when we look around and we see that the world is, is theoretically um, being successful? Well, there's psalms that deal with that. And so at every stage, they're helping us understand how to relate to God. The, the psalms are divinely ordained uh, a way of, of, of learning devotion to our God, how we can be in relationship with him, how we can set aside time and allow him to speak to our hearts and really be uh, changed by what he says. So think about this. Martin Luther uh, called the psalms of the mini Bible. Do you know what he meant by that? You know what, do you know what Martin Luther meant by that? Has anyone ever heard that before? Okay, the mini Bible, uh, because uh, really it, it is an overview of salvation from uh, creation all the way through the giving of the, the, of the law at Mount Sinai, uh, through the establishment of the temple and the tabernacle. Uh, the, uh, it grows through the, the exile due to the unfaithfulness of the people of Israel. It points us forward to the coming of the Messiah. There's many Psalms. He says Psalm 2, Psalm 22. You have in there uh, right where Jesus even is going to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So you have many of the Psalms that, that, re, uh, that point forward to Jesus Christ and they, um, they draw out the fact that he is going to be uh, our redemption and he is going to renew all things. And so the, psalm is, the Psalms are packed full of everything from the beginning of time. Even Psalm 19, what does it talk to us? It talks to us about the heavens declaring the glory of God. And his firmament showing the handiwork and how that uh, day by day the, the heavens, all the, uh, in creation is pointing towards the, the fact that God is real and that he exists. So it goes through the whole, the whole truth of the, the Bible. Number two, the Psalms are for every human need. In every situation that is represented in our lives uh, that we find ourselves in, we find in the Psalms. So you can be reading through the Psalms and they're rich with just real practical ways of dealing with the situations of our lives. Psalms anticipate, they train you for every possible spiritual and social emotional condition. They're, they're there. They're helping us to process things in a right way. So I just say to you, uh, if you struggle where to go in the Bible to read and what's going to help you in your relationship with God, go to the Psalms. John's great for knowing Jesus. Amen. You can learn a lot about Jesus there, but the Psalms will help you relate and really help you uh, have a proper view of God and, and, and maintain the right attitude toward God. Um, they, they also help us in this way. They give us an understanding of the greatness of God. Because David could be going along or the writer could be going along at the human level and then all of a sudden go, but my God. And I love that what happens, I believe it's Psalm 73, where he's going over and over about all 
you know, I've confessed this on my sin and I've done right and I've tried to live a righteous life and I look at the wicked and they're prospering and this, this knowledge was too heavy for me. It was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I understood their end. And it's like all of a sudden he gets pulled right out of the, the life that we live in oftentimes right into the heavenlies where he's realizing, no, they're not gonna get away with it and God will have the final say. And all that happened in the presence of God. You think about uh, the personal sin of David, as was mentioned Psalm 51, and all the, the personal sin, but you, he, he's going along, he's confessing, I'm acknowledging my sin to God, and then he finally gets to that point where he is, he is asking God for the joy of his salvation. He's asking that God would renew unto him that joy so that he could teach sinners the way and that he could go on and be a testimony for God. And so he gets pulled out of, out of the the. Uh, the, the low life, the, the, the struggles of his life, the, the sin that he, had, uh, that he had committed, and even the consequences of that to being at the point of being used again by God. And so there's so much that goes on in the Psalms that deal with our every need. Number three, the Psalms orient our heart to God. They're almost like, uh, they're almost like a medicine that, that helps us to get our heart in the right place, helps us to get back on track. And so David, uh, through much of the Psalms, uh, there are prayers that we can pray that help us to be oriented back towards God, get our, our focus back in the right place. So in, in an interesting way, um, when you read through the Psalms, you know there's a lot of times you're reading through and it, it feels like this is something I could pray back to God. It's something I can enter into. It's not just something written for me, it's something that I can use in my relationship with God. And you think about that, when David prays in Psalm 139, um, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, that's a prayer that you and I can enter into. And so it orients my heart towards God. It helps me have the right heart orientation. It leads us to God. Uh, the Psalms lead us to do what the psalmist did to commit ourselves to God through pledges, through promises, through depending on God through petition, uh, through, express, uh, through expressing his acceptance of us, to seeking his comfort, through lament, through complaint, to seeking, you know, seeking his comfort, to find mercy in God through confession and repentance, to gain new wisdom and perspective from God through meditation, remembrance, reflection, and who God is. And so it's orienting our hearts in the right way. It's leading us to um, back to God. Number five, the Psalms allow us to see God as he is, high and lifted up, who God is. And uh, as Brother Tom mentioned, Psalm 91 leads us as one of the, a very lofty psalm. Who's going to, who's going to be where God is? Who's going who's gonna to dwell in the secret place of God? Who's going to be in friendship with God? It's the one who dwells in the shadow of the un, all. Almighty, I think of Psalm 24. I had to learn that as a speech in high school and, and give it back as an, 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 uh, an interpretive speech. But I remember it talks about who's going to ascend into the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, right? And so uh, it's amazing as you think about it. It shows us who God is, but the Psalms also brings us to Jesus. Over and over we find that Jesus quoted, in fact, much of his quotes are from the Psalms. When he sang a hymn after the Passover and went out, he sang from the Psalms, Psalm 113, the, the great uh, Psalms of Hillel, uh, Psalm 113 through 118, these Psalms, and they sang these um, um, back to God. But the, the, the Psalms are really the songs of Jesus. 
They were the songs that he used and how we ought to use them as well. Now, one other thought here uh, this evening. Uh, how many of you have ever heard of an imprecatory prayer? Right? Some of you? Uh, an imprecatory prayer is the idea, or a psalm, is a prayer that prays for judgment on your enemies. How many of you would like to pray an imprecatory prayer? Miss Jones says, I can't stand to read those psalms. They're hard, aren't they? So why in the world did God put imprecatory psalms in there? Why did he allow those prayers? Is there any benefit from them? Well, you tell me. Tell me what the benefit of us reading something like that. Speaking it to God, getting it off your chest, like you said, venting. Yeah? What else? say something that's a good one all right and so even as as we say this um when david's praying this he's acknowledging who's the judge right so i'm going to give you several several thoughts here tonight um you see the imprecatory psalms that are listed there uh, Psalm 5 and so on. But they acknowledge God is the judge and the victor, not man. God is the judge and he, he will win the victory. So how many times do we really need to put that into practice, friends? Do you, do you have an enemy in your life right now? I'm talking about a person who's, who's, who does not appreciate you, does not like you, would rather see you go through some hurt. If you do, I, just, I encourage you to think about this. David's praying about individuals, about groups of people that were against him as enemies, and he acknowledged God is the judge. God is the judge. He's the victor. Uh, second, they acknowledge the existence of unrepentant evil. Is there unrepentant evil in the world? Yes, there is. Just look at Afghanistan right now. You get a little bit of a feeling what the Syrians were like. Does this not strike you as biblical? Like, it, it, like you're watching something very biblical except for the fact that now they're dressing in our uniforms? <laughs> so it doesn't look so biblical anymore. But, but you, you look at this and you're like, there is unrepentant evil in the world. Number three, they reveal the transparency of the human heart before God in the Psalms. God wants to hear your heart. What does he say? Pour out your heart before him, you people. And how many times do we bottle it or we only share it with others or we share it on, you know, in a post or whatever? We share it in some way like that, but we don't go to God with it. We go all the way around the person that we need to share it with. No, God wants our, our, us to be transparent with him. 
they reveal, number four, the difference between cursing our personal enemies versus God dealing with his enemies. So it's, it's a difference between us going and bringing the curse upon them or allowing God to bring the, the, the judgment that they deserve, that God knows they deserve. So literally it's, here you go, God. Remember what the Bible tells us in the New Testament, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So that's what it is. It reveals the difference. So is it wrong for us to pray, God, here is an enemy. I pray you bring judgment upon them. Is it wrong? Is it wrong to pray an imprecatory prayer? No. It's given to us in Scripture. No. But let's go to one other place. In your, Amen. Let's go to one other, uh, another thought. Um, I'm going to have to jump ahead for that thought. But hold, hold on. Uh, the Psalms also, the imprecatory Psalms also help, uh, uh, they prophetically acknowledge that God's ultimate justice will win. Okay, God is going to save the lost, right? He's going to execute sin. Those that are unrepentant, he's going to take care of this, this matter. He's going to save those that, that come to him. He's going to execute sin. But to Miss uh, Jones' point, they emphasize that all judgment prior to the final judgment, get this, is all about turning that person's heart, the wicked's heart, back towards God. So as long, think about that, you have a person in your life that's your, uh, that's your enemy, and I, I realize these are interesting psalms that, you know, when we, when we uh, think about them, um, but even the, the judgment, God stepping in and chasing and judging a person's, the whole point of judgment ahead of a person's death is to get them to turn to God. So um, you think about judgment on our land. When they're, they're, we deserve judgment in a very, very large way. And I think God, is, God has done some of that this, this week. I think it's, and I've already said it, I guess it, you know, it's hard not to repeat it, but um, I think God has brought some judgment. I'm not even talking about all the particulars and the details, but I think God has brought some judgment upon our country. Shame. Shame. Um, I trust our country will turn back to God. But that is the point of it. God doesn't, doesn't chasten. What did he do over and over with the, uh, with the Canaanites? He gave them space to repent. They didn't. All right. Number seven, they flow from the heart of, uh, heart of David. In light of the protection and the, and, the, and the goodness of God, they flowed from the heart of David. This, um, this was something that was coming out of his heart. And there are times when, when you're overwhelmed. Some of David's enemies were, think about Saul. The guy was chasing him through the rocks and through the hills trying to kill him. You think you might not have prayed a prayer? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they flowed from his heart. And so in these two books, we see, we see the sovereignty of God in the midst of our human suffering. And ultimately, God restores everything back to Job. And we see in this book a, song, a, a, a hymn book, the Bible's hymn book, full of worship songs for us to pray um, back to God, give praise to God, and in so many ways, the, um, the Psalms are helpful, they're encouraging, and I encourage you to 
on dive into them even more. Every book in the Bible is given to us on purpose for a purpose. On purpose for a purpose. It does you well to know that if you see someone going through a trial, you can speak to them from the life of Job. Show, uh, show what God is doing in the life of a follower of his. You see a person that needs encouragement, you know I can go to the Psalms. We all know that. But have those Psalms at the tip of your tongue. Uh, I oftentimes go to Psalm 73 and verse number 26 when I'm going to the hospital to talk to somebody. Your heart failing, your flesh failing, God says he's your portion. He's, he's the strength of your heart and your portion forever. I like to remind them about that. And so uh, we can use those. And may we receive the Bible in all, Job and Psalms, and use them uh, for our own good. So let's just pray and thank God for these tonight. Thank you, Lord, for these books that you've placed in. In some ways, Lord, Job as a book um, causes us to, to shake our heads, but in other ways it gives us a lot of comfort to know that you have Satan on a leash, that nothing happens in our life apart from your your control and your acknowledgement, your allowance. And so we give you praise for that tonight. And then, Lord, thank you for giving us a book of songs and prayers that help us to um, relate well to you. So, Lord, I pray that we'd uh, just be encouraged and blessed by these, um, by these books that you've given us. Thank you for this gathering of believers tonight. I pray that you'd strengthen each one. May we bless one another by considering each other even tonight and provoking to love and good works. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode, and please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for checking out this episode. I look forward to having you join us again right here on the Grace Baptist Church Podcast.